welcome to Word Online. Hello, and welcome to series three and episode 11, which we're calling Jesus's Compassionate Healing Ministry. And we're going to look at two summary statements about Jesus's healing ministry during his uh, ministry in Galilee. We've been describing in earlier episodes how this has been gathering momentum with many remarkable healings, many remarkable uh, deliverances from evil spirits, crowds gathering from further and further afield, and Jesus having a huge impact on the community through the miraculous things that he did. Now we're going to look at uh, Mark's narrative. Um, first of all, in Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 12, where he describes the sheer scale of what is taking place in a very interesting uh, explanation of how enormous the crowds were and the issues that it raised. So this is a narrative introduction. And in the second half of this episode, we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 to 21, where Matthew takes a prophetic perspective on what is happening through Jesus's miraculous healing ministry. We're going to put those two together and see what we can learn from these two accounts, which have a real significance in terms of understanding Jesus' ministry at this time, and particularly the significance of his healing ministry and uh, the way it reveals his uh, true identity. So I want to start by turning to Mark 3 um, verses 7 to 12. This is Mark's um, summary statement, a very interesting account of how things had developed as the crowds got larger and larger. Mark 3 verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed him. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, that they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Now, as soon as you read this passage, you become aware of the fact that the crowds around Jesus now were almost unmanageable. There were just so many people. And wherever he went, he seemed to be besieged by crowds. And his reputation for healing meant that people came from further and further afield and they were desperate, so they were pushing forward. Now, I don't know whether you've ever been in a crowded situation where the crowd becomes somewhat out of control for one reason or another. Maybe it's a transport situation or a public rally or a, a traffic jam situation, um, but crowds are uh, tense situations when they become 
out of control. And uh, this is what Jesus was experiencing. He found it difficult to move around freely and he was interrupted everywhere he went and people were pushing forward to see him. And the risk was that he would be surrounded by a crowd and just simply wouldn't be able to move anywhere. And uh, people would get frustrated uh, not being able to get access to him because there were so many other people in front of them. Maybe you've been in this kind of situation. It can be quite terrifying. Um, it can be quite uh, difficult to handle. And Jesus did something here, which we have no account of him doing before. But he asked the disciples to get a boat. He positioned himself by the lake. Now, this is the Sea of Galilee, the freshwater lake, um, the fishing lake that was uh, in the middle of Galilee. And he operated in and around the lake much of the time. Capernaum in his headquarters was a village or a small town uh, right on the lake. So he asked his disciples to, uh, to get a boat ready and he positioned himself near the lakeside because this was the only way that he could escape from the crowd if he needed to, by literally getting on the water. And of course, very few of them could follow uh, him uh, when he was uh, getting on the lake. Now, we know from other accounts, there are, are different reasons why Jesus went on the Sea of Galilee uh, on a boat and various things happened, which we'll discuss in future episodes. But here's an early incident of where Jesus was struggling to actually deal with the sheer number of people that were coming to him. He was giving an immense amount of time and energy to heal the sick. And so one of the reasons to escape uh, to the lake would be to get some rest. And uh, no doubt Jesus did that on occasion. But we notice also here in the description of the crowd that they came from very far and wide. We've already noticed this in an earlier episode in Matthew chapter 4. He describes um, crowds coming from similar locations. In fact, Mark adds in another district here, Idumea, which is south of Judea, which is even further away than the other locations that have been described. So it's possible um, that people may be traveling not just 150 kilometers, which I mentioned with the previous description, but even up to 200 kilometers from uh, that southern district uh, in order to get to Jesus. So there's something urgent, something desperate about the crowds as they're seeking urgently the healing and the touch of Jesus. But it's becoming almost unmanageable. Jesus gives a huge amount of time to help people. And he's not just healing the sick, he is setting them free from demonic influence. As we've already noticed and discussed in previous episodes, um, the New Testament writers are quite clear that Jesus's ministry was twofold in this miraculous dimension. Some of it was just healing the sick and some of it was releasing people from the control of evil powers. And it's noticeable here that the impure spirits within people, wrongly occupying them, uh, when they came in contact with Jesus, they acknowledged his authority and his power, acknowledged that he was the Son of God, and they were removed by Jesus from those people, thus setting them free from all sorts of oppression, whether it's mental, psychological, or physical. So it's a, a remarkable scene, almost a chaotic scene, is implied by this narrative. So many people rushing around 
trying to find Jesus and, and causing difficulty for the village communities um, as people just pass through in their hundreds um, trying to get hold of food uh, and water in large numbers. There was a lot of disruption going on at this time as a result of the healing ministry of Jesus and the vast number of people that were coming to seek healing from him. So that's the description given in Mark. It's just a narrative description. It gives you a feel for what's happening at this time. This was a time of Jesus's great popularity. There were very few critics. There were the religious authorities who were already criticizing him and challenging him, um, but there weren't many other people criticizing him. Most people were very much on board thinking uh, this was a very, very remarkable man, a healer, a teacher, a prophet, and perhaps the Son of God, the Messiah. Now, Matthew's account, which relates to a similar type of situation, gives a completely different perspective, which I want to spend a bit of time thinking about. Um, Matthew 12, verses 15 to 21, is Matthew reflecting on the significance of Jesus' widespread healing ministry. What did it say about him? And he then uh, quotes a prophecy from Isaiah, and that's what we're going to study for a few minutes now. Matthew 12, verses 15 to 21. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Matthew frequently identifies Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled through Jesus. We've already noticed that in some earlier episodes, for example, the birth narratives. Here's another good example. Matthew was writing with Jews very much in mind and with a keen interest in Old Testament prophecy and its fulfillment. And here he quotes extensively from a prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. Now, he's here quoting from one of a series of prophecies which I mentioned in several episodes, and I will repeat some of the things that I've mentioned um, elsewhere, just for us to be clear. There's a series of prophecies in uh, the book of Isaiah which have um, a common theme. They are identifying the work of an individual person who Isaiah calls the servant of the Lord. This is a representative of Israel, 
the servant nation, God's servant nation, who were called by him to serve him uh, in his purposes to bless the whole world. But there's a representative person called the servant of the Lord um, who arises out of Israel and turns out to be, as we understand it now, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man as well. It's just one of those titles um, of Jesus, the servant of the Lord. Now, these passages, which I'll just quote for you now, just give you the references for them so you can study them yourselves. And, and I'll give these references every time we have a significant uh, discussion of one of these passages. But these passages have an increasingly clear picture of who this servant of the Lord is. The first servant of the Lord passage or prophecy is this one, in fact. It's from Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 7. There's another passage in Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 7. That's the second passage about the servant of the Lord. The third one is Isaiah 50, verses 4 to 9. The longest one is the fourth one, what the one that we're probably more familiar with if we know um, much about the Bible. And that is Isaiah 52 verse 13 to Isaiah 53 verse 12. That's more than a whole chapter. And then finally, there's Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3, which we already discussed in an earlier episode when Jesus quoted it in the Nazareth synagogue. And that was the beginning of us understanding how Jesus uh, identified himself with this character, the servant of the Lord. These prophecies speak of various different things that this servant would do. And I'm just going to focus here on um, chapter 42, because this is the uh, text that we have in mind now. But just to make it clear that, that as these prophecies progress, we see that the servant is going to suffer and die a sacrificial atoning death and be raised again from the dead in order to bring salvation to people. And that becomes clear in the third and the fourth passages, Isaiah 50, and then particularly Isaiah 52 and 53, which describes this fully. We'll come back to that in a few moments. But in this particular passage, there are a number of things of interest. I will put my spirit on him. Uh, verse 18. So the Holy Spirit is going to empower the servant. Now we've seen this already very clearly uh, demonstrated in the Gospels from the time of Jesus' baptism onwards. And he'll proclaim justice to the nations. So his focus isn't only going to be to the people of Israel, it's going to be to the nations of the world. Interestingly enough, in Mark's description in Mark 3 that we just looked at, um, we have nations described there who are beyond the borders of Israel. So um, there's already an indication that Jesus is reaching beyond just the Jewish people. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor uh, no one will hear his voice in the streets. This refers to not being um, a strident political voice, someone who's drawing attention to himself. Um, uh, no, it's someone who comes very gently and very quietly and very humbly into their society. But a bruised reed he'll not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. This speaks of compassion for the broken. 
the servant of the Lord Jesus would have great compassion for the broken. Now, this part of this prophecy is one of the things that strikes Matthew very, very strongly because he sees tremendous compassion in the healing ministry of Jesus. And I want to really underline and emphasize that. Um, we can see the numbers, we can see the scale of the miracles, and we can be impressed by those. But it takes real compassion to give hours and hours, days and days, weeks and weeks of your time to endless crowds who come to you, people you don't know, people from different nations, some of whom don't even speak the same language as you do, um, and for you to give time to pray for them, to engage with them, to talk to them, to encourage them, to hold people's hands. And that's really what Jesus had to do with hundreds, uh, thousands of people. And so there's a real compassion in his ministry. And that's why uh, this episode is entitled Jesus's Compassionate Healing Ministry. He showed great compassion and this prophecy identifies it. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So the ministry of Jesus, according to this prophecy, through his compassionate healing and through his speaking and sharing, is going to reach the nations of the world. It's not just about the Jews and about Israel. And he will bring justice through to victory, verse 20, second half. So it looks like Jesus is going to reach all the nations of the world and he's going to bring some kind of just society through his kingdom, which is going to be characterised by compassion for the weak and a healing ministry. These are amazing characteristics. And it's all going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit has been given to Jesus. He came back to Galilee, according to Luke 4, in the power of the Spirit. He performed miracles by the power and the calling of the Spirit. And so here in this particular part of the Gospels, we just have two summary accounts. Uh, Mark identifying the sheer scale of the healing ministry, just the vast numbers and the logistics of it. And Matthew providing a prophetic perspective and rooting Jesus' ministry in the prophecies of the Old Testament. So as we reflect on these things and we ask ourselves, what can we learn from these passages? I want to say two things. I want, first of all, to talk about miracles. Miracles were absolutely central to uh, the ministry of Jesus. At every stage in his life, he performed miracles, and we see them recorded all the way through the gospel accounts. And the reason this is important is that obviously it just demonstrated his compassion and the love of God was a sign of God's grace to people. That in itself is important. Um, but also that this was an indicator that Jesus had, as John said, the spirit without limit. That Jesus was able to operate in all the gifts of the spirit. So John 3 verse 34 says, For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. 
There was nothing Jesus couldn't do as the Son of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He had the Spirit without limit. There was enough power, enough gifts of healing to deal with everybody who came to him. Now, I'm going to just make a point here that, that comes up several times in our study, so it won't be the only time I'll make this point, but it's an important one. What's our expectation to be in the church? You see, we don't have the spirit without limits in each one of us. And when we looked at that passage in John chapter 3, um, I did teach on that and just explain that a little bit. We are the body of Christ, the church, and the spirit distributes gifts according to his will. And so individual Christians have different gifts, some of them obviously miraculous gifts, some of them serving gifts, some of them teaching gifts, some of them leadership gifts, some of them gifts of mercy to the poor and needy, some of them gifts of hospitality and giving and generosity. There's many different types of gifts, but some of them are the performing of miracles and gifts of healing and the discerning of spirits, which are relevant to the healing ministry of Jesus. And so it's important for us to seek those gifts and to encourage those who clearly demonstrate an ability to have faith, to pray for the sick, to be healed in miraculous ways. We should be expecting signs of the kingdom in the church today, like the signs that we see in the Gospels. No single person will perform the number of miracles and the scale of miracles that Jesus does because none of us have the spirit without limits. But many of us will be given supernatural gifts of miracles and healing. And these will point people to Christ. So can I encourage you to have this positive perspective and to seek to be one of those people who brings about those miracles for the glory of God. My second reflection and my, my final one is to just think a little bit more about this uh, prophetic understanding that Matthew brings to our attention here, that Jesus is the servant of the Lord according to Isaiah. Isaiah 42, the first of these prophecies, focuses on Jesus's compassion and his mercy reaching down to the broken. We've discussed that briefly. The second passage, Isaiah 49, focuses on Jesus extending his ministry well beyond Israel. In fact, Isaiah 49 describes it as too small a thing just for him to restore the Jewish people to God. It's too small a thing, Isaiah 49 verse 6, for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Here's another emphatic example implied in Isaiah 42, as we saw a few moments ago, but stated overtly and directly here and prophetically, Jesus will be a light to the nations and his salvation will reach the ends of the earth. Well, here we are in the 21st century, and this prophecy is being fulfilled in our lifetime and has been being fulfilled 
for many centuries up until now. The salvation of Christ is reaching the ends of the earth. That's wonderful to think about and is part of the reason that we are here today. You from many different nations in the world and me giving uh, this teaching, we're sharing together in a salvation that goes across all ethnic groups and all nations and all races and all language groups as his salvation reaches the ends of the earth. But Isaiah 53, which uh, we'll come back to later on in, in our studies, but we'll comment on just briefly now, identifies unambiguously that the means of this salvation coming to the world was not just through miracles and signs, powerful teaching and prophetic insight, all the things that we've seen Jesus perform in Galilee and do in Galilee, which drew these immense crowds which we've been talking about. He could have continued doing that for many, many years, but he chose to cut short that ministry after about three years. And he chose a different end to his life than you might have imagined. He chose to allow himself to die. And Isaiah 53, part of this same series of prophecies that Matthew would have had in mind when he quoted Isaiah 42, he would have seen the link between all these different prophecies, says very clearly, and I just leave this for us to think about now, we'll discuss it in more detail in future episodes. Isaiah 53 verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of one has turned to uh, his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this servant of the Lord role has many dimensions. Not all of them are mentioned in this passage. This is just an introduction to the servant of the Lord role. But in Isaiah 53, that passage and much more material in Isaiah 53, which develops it, shows that a key part of his salvation, in fact, the central part, is that he should die as a substitute, as an atonement for you and for me so that we can obtain forgiveness. Then he rose again and then he ascended and the church came into being to fulfill that ministry and get the message out to the nations of the world. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.